Hello, all, and welcome to a very special Halloween episode of Animates. Uh, Just kidding, it's not a Halloween-themed episode, but it is Halloween, and we are still talking about gargoyles, so it seems fitting. I really wish that I had, like, spooky skeletons lined up to cackle in the background as you oh, said that. Oh, man, that would have been great. I don't know, like, drop it in after the fact or something. <laughs> or I'll just do a... Um, yes. Which is cackle. <laughs> oh, which cackle? Yeah, there we go. There we go. So, we... I think it was a week ago now, maybe, uh, maybe even as much as two weeks ago, we put out our first episode talking about gargoyles the early to mid-90s Disney classic. And we talked mostly about um, the gargoyle characters and Elisa Maza and some of the moral messaging of the show. But we didn't get to discuss our villains that much or some of the really interesting plot elements that happen. So today, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Though, I do want to go ahead and stop us right now, because I, I think uh, I want to start a change.org petition to oh. make Elisa Maza a official Disney princess. Yes. You I can agree. find my petition right next to the petition that asks Donald Trump to wear an orange costume, like uh, the fruit, and change the name of Labradoodles to doodle labbers. <laughs> because that's the kind of crap that you see on change.org. These are the important the important questions. <laughs> so uh, um, I would just like to say regarding regarding Elisa Maza, something I was thinking about is that Elisa Maza is ca canonically um half black and half Native American. And I think that's like the only sort of racial weirdness that happens in that show centers around that because she is not drawn like her skin tone is not that dark. And so I just assumed that she was a white woman until the episode where she got shot and all of a sudden half her family is black. And I was like, oh, OK. And then when they go, they visit her. F they go to the Southwest and her father is apparently from the Southwest. And but they say the word wasichu, which is a Lakota term, a Lakota like derogatory term for white people. And that's Lakota do not live in the Southwest. <laughs> like if he was from the Southwest, he would be like Navajo or Hopi. And those are just the only things that the only things that bothered me about the show, like racially, where I was like, if Elisa Maza were really half black and half Native American, her skin tone would be much darker than, than this. Like, Listen, this is whitewashed. Paige, and I think that you are the asking... wrong kind of Native American. You're conflating different tribes. You're asking too much. People, people can't be <laughs> asked to learn the different Native American nations and geographically where they were. It's not as simple as... Uh, the Holy Roman Empire and its various different kingdoms and their locations. See, that's <laughs> simple. You look at a map of pre, like, 1300s Europe, and it's the simplest thing in the world. Much more streamlined than the Native American nations. Hmm. Yeah, it's not like the Lakota were, like, the one group of Native Americans that got to stay anywhere near where their ancestral homeland was or anything. And like that was nowhere near the Southwestern United States at all. 
Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, so obviously not... It's like the, the it's like a, a beautiful uh, you see a gymnast do this beautiful flip in the air and then they just smack their face on the landing. Yeah. It's like <laughs> halfway much. to something great and then Yeah. So For sure. Those things just like bothered me a little bit. I wanted to make sure that I brought them up. <laughs> maybe you know I've always perceived Maza as being um ethnically and big, I don't want to say, like, I, I, as a kid, I wasn't really a conscious of, like, all sorts of different ethnicities. And, mm -hmm. and when I saw the show, I was like, I definitely remember thinking she doesn't look white. Um, maybe I've just watched. I honestly, I thought she just looked like she was drawn to me, like a olive skinned white woman is what I thought initially. Uh, see, and I, I don't know, I guess I have always kind of tried to notice that kind of stuff in animation, but uh, mm -hmm. maybe I'm just kind of blanketing my memory as a kid. Maybe I really didn't think much of it. This time around, though, I definitely started mm -hmm. started out being like, Elisa Maza is not white. From the beginning. Yeah. But maybe I just remember... You know who's really ethnically ambiguous, though? Goliath? Xanatos? Xanatos is... Greek? He's Scottish. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean... His father's... His ancestors are Scottish. I don't think... They, they never show his ancestors, ever. The only thing we know about Xanatos' family is that... Is his dad... And he has some kind of accent, and Xanatos is kind of swarthy. <laughs> and his name is Xanatos, which isn't like a real name. I don't know, Greek? That's the best I've got. <laughs> I I can't tell you, honestly. Yeah, I wish I knew. that information. Um, Disney didn't give us enough about Xanatos' yeah. history, which is actually kind of funny because Xanatos' father comes in for two episodes, and both times he's just in the background either yelling, Ree, you don't work hard enough, or you're okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> he exists completely as sort of this weird-ass foil to, to Xanatos, but he never is actualized in any way other than shit he says to his son. Yeah, it's like, it's almost, Xanatos' father might as well just show up in that episode and be like, I was a fisherman, my <laughs> grandfather was a fisherman, your great-grandfather was a fisherman, what, is it not good enough for you to be a fisherman? <laughs> that's, that's what he says, you know? <laughs> Gargoyle, sadly, was not about the fish. <laughs> um, Xanatos does rock a ponytail, though. So, yeah, Xanatos is, uh, Paige and I were saying that, I, I personally think that Xanatos is the only man that I've seen rock a ponytail and me be like, yeah, yeah, fits you, perfect. He has, like, a ponytail mullet situation that looks, like, so suave and cool in a way that that hairstyle has literally never looked in real life. I feel like if they did a live-action Gargoyles, there's about a 70% chance that the mullet would go from cool to not cool. Like, the way that it's animated, it's animated as one, like, object. Piece. 
Where, yeah. Whereas mullets are like all over the place. Oh yeah, for sure. Because he has those like, he has like cute bangs in the front, you know, he has like little bangs and a part and clearly the sides are shaved closer, but then he has a ponytail. So the only way you achieve that is with a mullet. Xanatos has a mullet. But he makes it into a ponytail to make it look yeah. fan- le fancy. So fancy. He is V-fashion. Xanatos is so fashion. Though he typically wears the same thing. Yeah, but, you know, it's a nice, dark-colored, tailored suit. You can't go wrong, you know? He does occasionally wear a tuxedo. And then he wears my favorite outfit, his gargoyle battle armor. (laughs) The Goliath-looking gargoyle battle armor. (laughs) The, yeah, all... Goliath is the prototype for all gargoyle-ish automatons, statues, and other uh, potpourri. It's because gargoyle, like, it's because Goliath is yoked as fuck. And so, (laughs) obviously, if you're gonna pick one of them to base it off, like, oh, are we gonna base it off the tiny one with a bald head, or the old one with a pot belly, or the one who's fucking yoked? Fuck. Obviously that one. Okay, I, I honest okay, I, I don't know what is wrong with me right now, but I just realized David Xanatoth and Goliath. David and Goliath. Fuck! Oh my god, I just <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh I didn't realize that either. There's they say his name in like his first name infrequently enough that I just didn't think about it. It uh oh hiding, my God. hiding in plain sight. Oh, and Goliath relies upon like the strength of his body, and Xanatos relies on technology. Oh Jesus. Yeah, so clearly not a mistake. That was no, clearly no, no. intentional. How did we not notice that? How Jesus. I I Honestly, when when I said that, I was expecting you to go, yeah, you didn't freaking notice that, dummy. No, (laughs) I didn't notice that either. Uh, Oh, God, we're dumb. We're really dumb. (laughs) We shouldn't even be doing this show. Yeah, all right, wrap it up. We had a good run. 12 episodes. 12 12 episodes of solid roll outro credits. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, wait. While we're criticizing ourselves, I do have a correction slash apology that I need to make. And it is that the voice actress that I was identifying as Tara Strong in the last episode, it's not Tara Strong. I thought about it some more and looked back at some other shows. And it's Kath Susie that I was identifying. I don't think that I have misidentified Tara Strong in any other shows on this podcast, but I did with... Gargoyles, I apologize to the listeners and to Kath Susie for attributing her fine work to Tara Strong. She's going to sue you now. Probably, honestly. Um, I deserve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're stealing her valor and attributing it to Tara Strong. <laughs> um, please don't do that, uh, Miss slash Mrs. Yeah, Susie. Please don't sue me. Whichever one you are, um, we respect you so much. Praise be. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I do, okay, so... Yeah, I just wanted to... I knew that I would... Go go ahead. Let's talk about David Xanatos. And now that we have the whole David imagery, I can't stop seeing it. I can't... 
I, I go back and I look through I everything either. that's happened and I'm like, wow, I'm so dumb. I am so, so dumb. Um, and yeah, what's great oh is that <laughs> if we had noticed it, we would have noticed immediately that they were inverting the power dynamic between those two names. Because Xanatos always has the upper hand, mm-hmm. and Goliath is always the David. Like, him and his ragtag yeah. group of gargoyles are, are always the underdogs in in situations, typically. So, uh, God. Um, I, I need therapy. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Okay, so in the very first episode, we meet Xanatos, and he's like... I'm Xanatos. I'm helping you. I've broken the spell and you're awake now. Multi-billionaire philanthropist. The first two episodes. Yeah. And so like the first two episodes we're seeing him and I'm like, okay, he's being portrayed as, as an ally, but there's literally no fucking way that this guy isn't a villain. His name is Xanatos. Yeah. Spelled with an X. Like, you cannot be named that and not be a villain. If there were a definition of telegraphing in the dictionary, Xanatos would be right next to it. Because you yeah. can't telegraph somebody's alignment harder than that. Billion, uh, billionaire, th- like, corporatist. Who, who believes in magic. Who believes in magic. Who's a part of the fucking Illuminati. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's canon he's fucking in the illuminati uh, oh my god so a part of the illuminati uh-huh. moves an entire entire castle brick by brick stone by stone from ages fucking scottish castle from scotland across the atlantic ocean builds it up again on top of the tallest skyscraper in new york uh, is the good guy. Yeah. We're like, supposed so to believe. Air that there are clouds that often obstruct your view of the castle. Uh, and which is the whole point. So the gargoyles in yeah. the beginning episodes, they get betrayed, which is <laughs> not going to be the last time that happens, kids. And <laughs> Or the first time. Or the, fir- <laughs> or the first time. And they, they get tricked. And all of their gargoyle family gets destroyed. And eventually, um, the Magus responsible for taking away some of the last survivors, uh, Goliath asks him, you know, freeze me in stone with them. And the spell, which this is where we get to talk about the magic system of gargoyles, which is very much based in, uh, like, Arthurian lore and traditional European magic stuff, right? There's always a break. Particularly Celtic, yeah. There's always a break condition, like a condition under which the spell will stop. There's never like an unbreakable Mm -hmm. spell. So for this, the the spells, they will sleep forever until they are... The castle rises above the clouds. Yeah, the castle itself rises above the clouds. So Xanatos does... Just that, being probably the first time where the show... Personally, I think the show has a slant. And the slant is technology is better than magic. And it's the first time that we see that technology is just like, fuck your magic. 
You want us to build a castle in the clouds? You got it. Yeah, what's that, um, you know, that bit, the, uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? Yeah, which I'm, <laughs> I have so much to say about that as the sci-fi fantasy person in me. Uh, but mm -hmm. Xantos does this and he starts up by saying, you know, I just wanted to help you. I spent immense amounts of money and time just because I wanted you to help me. And this is where the convolution truly begins. Because mm -hmm. David Xanatos then proceeds to fake a robbery of a disc. And because of the gargoyles being disoriented by being thrust a thousand years into the future, Xanatos manages to get their trust. And he says, these people have stolen some very important secrets from me. So I need you to go and th there's a blimp that flies over New York. And it is a blimp owned by my competitors. <laughs> and they're, they're a cybernetics company. And I need you to infiltrate this blimp and steal this disc. This is the whole reason that Xanatos spent all... He literally moved an entire Dark Ages Scottish castle brick by brick across the ocean and rebuilt it on top of a skyscraper to break a thousand-year-old magic spell and awaken monsters to do corporate espionage for him. <laughs> it, it sounds like an absurd joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the, like you're as a kid, you're like, yeah, this totally makes sense. Like, okay, Xanatos is villainous Tony Stark, but also spends millions of dollars on magical relics. Well, okay, to be fair, magic is real, and those relics are absurdly powerful. That's true. That's true. they are. He's always right. They are real and absurdly powerful relics. They're usually things that are from Celtic myth. Like, you know, like um, there's a cauldron of rebirth and various magical cauldrons show up all over like the Mabinogian and um, like the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology and stuff. And he's just like, yeah, this magic must be completely real. I'll just spend millions of dollars to recover these relics. <laughs> Uh, and it, use them to further my ends. It's almost as if nobody since a thousand years ago has ever used magic items. And Xanatos is just the first enlightened believer in magic. Which is also yeah. equally absurd. Um, yeah, so it's like everyone stopped believing in magic a thousand years ago. Even though there, was, there were literally wizards... <laughs> around everyone just decided to stop believing in magic but i know <laughs> so i can get the relics um so xanatos the, the gargoyle successfully destroy the blimp well okay so do we okay it gets less absurd because later we find out that time travel is involved uh one of the gargoyles that spent loved goliath demona which is sort of our, our mm -hmm. really the arch villain. She ends up being more villainous than Xanatos. And 
Yeah, for sure. She extremely complex. She has been working with Xanatos, and they needed the gargoyles for a number of reasons throughout the show. But Demona is the one that has been helping Xanatos because she knows magic exists, and she's really the one to communicate to him, like, here are all these magical relics. She ends up using Xanatos, which uh, is hilarious because she's the only person who does successfully use Xanatos because he's pretty smart otherwise. But Oh yeah, he's really smart. Uh, Demona destroys the blimp, which crashes into the Hudson, which sounds like we're talking about a weird 19... I don't know. It sounds like a crazy story. It kind of is. But... Yeah. The Xanatos is. Can we also discuss how Xanatos became a billionaire? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm getting to that where right now, taking a castle seems really convoluted, like taking it across the Atlantic. But later, we find out that Xanatos needed the gargoyles because they allow him to get something called the Phoenix Gate, which is a magical artifact that lets you travel back in time. And. Xanatos goes back in time, contacts one of his Illuminati friends, which apparently the Illuminati has been around for a thousand fucking years, in Scotland. <laughs> it, well, it's they not... it was a Norman ambassador to Scotland. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so Xanatos gives a letter to his Illuminati friend with a couple of old coins. And the letter details how the coins be kept and delivered to a man named David Xanatos in like 19... A young boy, yeah. Yeah, in like the 1970s or 60s. Mm-hmm. So Xanatos has his past self get this coin. It's worth $20,000. He sells it and he is given instructions by his future self how to attain the money and later like how to become a billionaire. And we find out later that gargoyles adheres to a deterministic view of time travel where you can never change what has happened. Like going into the past is always what a person would have done. So the future that you inhabit is always the one you were going to inhabit. So you like it, it is always a closed loop. There aren't like alternate timelines that yeah, you can they create by using the time as a closed circle theory of time travel rather than an alternate reality version of it, or certainly the worst version of time travel, which is just like, yeah, you can just go into the past and change things and it affects the future and it's all the same timeline. <laughs> um, terrible version of time travel. <laughs> terrible. Um which I'm sure that's going to come up in the future, because time travel is such a ubiquitous sci-fi trope. But oh, yeah. with this, Xanatos, we learn why Xanatos has done some of the stuff he's done. So it makes a little bit more sense, but it's no less, I would argue that it's still no less convoluted, although it does become more sensible. Mm-hmm. Like Xanatos had to do all of those things in order to attain his wealth and position. So you're like, oh, okay. You know, maybe they kind of wrote that in after the fact to make it make sense, but that happens in the first season. So really, the first season, it felt like it was all written ahead of time, 
and where they had planned sort of how everything would fit. And I mean, I will say this for the gargoyles, the mythology and timeline and string of events and how things tie together is usually pretty damn tight. Like, Oh, it's fucking impeccable. I'm, I'm shocked at how good it is. Nothing feels retconned or like they were saying, well, we've created this fringe problem that we need loose end that we need to tie up. It never feels like that until we start to get to like season three, but it, which makes me believe literally the, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, it, well, it makes me believe that they had planned all of this much ahead of time. So with all the time travel stuff and with how Xanatos planned stuff and what Demona's plans were, all of it very much felt planned ahead of time. I don't know if that's true, but they sure as hell put up a good front if they were scrambling to write in all these loose ends. Yeah, it's like I said the last episode was if they didn't plan it ahead of time, they had a really excellent show Bible. So Xanatos rises to prominence as a corporatist. He's our local billionaire. And he, eventually the gargoyles, he betrays them and he tries to get rid of them. And the first seven episodes are kind of like a movie, to be honest. They all. Yeah, there's five episodes where it's mostly flashback telling the backstory of the gargoyles. So by the time we get to the beginning of the sh the official beginning of the show, which I would peg, I think it's like episode six. Um, all the action has played out. We have our stages set. The gargoyles live in their castle. Xanatos is kind of like an antagonist who has nonetheless allowed them to stay in the castle. We have our players. You know, <clears throat> Demona's villainous. She puts on a good front at the beginning to try and get Goliath back into her, but he realizes, wow, you are fucking crazy. Which we actually find out she's crazy for good reason. It's and, it's a it's a millennium a millennium of trauma basically. Yeah, because we find out later that Demona wasn't frozen in stone for a thousand years. She attained immortality. <laughs> I'm laughing because it ties into a very famous character, a la Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, she attained immortality from a Celtic triple goddess, and her immortality is tied. To Macbeth, yes, that Macbeth, same Macbeth, and so it's a it's a Harry Potter type situation where um, they can only die if one of them kills the other. Well, they have to die at the same time too. Yeah, they have to. Well, what happens? <coughs> pardon, is that one of if one of them fatally wounds the other, then they both die. Ah, uh, yeah. They can't die in any other way. And they do get killed, but they come back to life. Yeah, they get killed, but when they come back to life, it's that's how like the magic takes root, basically. And the triple goddess is like, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, so Xanatos over the he. Uh, I want to talk about him sort of in the context of the greater show. So now we know Xanatos. He is. He starts out as very much a uh, lawful evil opportunist. He, he, he's looking for power. He's seeking immortality. He has very traditional villainous goals, but he does have rules. He doesn't fuck with women and children. He will not, like, he does his best 
even though Elisa Maza helps the gargoyles, he does his best not to fuck with her, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Partially because I think he prefers the challenge of adversaries that could actually deal him serious blows like the gargoyles, but he, arguably mm-hmm. it's also because she's a woman. Not because he doesn't respect her, but because lawful evil characters traditionally do not harm women or children. Yeah. That is like their code of honor. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, think about Omar from the wire, right? (laughs) You know, every man has to have a code. Uh, so Xanatos. Oh, okay. We get some Omar from the wire comparison. Uh, well, I haven't seen the wire. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you should watch The Wire. I know I should. I I know <laughs> I and I should watch Breaking Bad and I, I should watch No, all... don't watch Breaking Bad. It's honestly not that great. You're gonna get some hate on this I podcast don't page. I hear about this. Don't tweet at me. <laughs> um oh, uh, cartoon tweets only, please. <laughs> so Xanatos is very complex because he starts out as this lawful evil character who is willing to work with the gargoyles when shit hits the fan because shit invariably does because of Mm -hmm. Demona, because of Macbeth, because of all sorts of other antagonists. I won't call them villains because a lot of them aren't villains, Mm -hmm. but because a lot of antagonists come along and threaten big stuff, threaten New York, threaten the gargoyles, threaten Xanatos or the world in some cases. So they end up working together and Xanatos always keeps his promise when he makes one. Mm-hmm. So he's, his word is really important to him. I think this allows kid. I, I, part of me believes that this was done because it, it allows kids to still like them. Like they're not liars or cheaters. They are, bad but they're they're like good bad yeah for sure like most people most characters on gargoyles are very lawful like i would say that xanatos moves from lawful evil to lawful neutral um and that the the gargoyles are all lawful good and elisa is lawful good um and even even Demona, like, I would have a hard time assigning her to good, evil, or neutral because she does a lot of like bad stuff. But it is she's no she's for, like a reason, like a reason, you know. She uh, she vacillates between neutral or chaotic evil. Wiping out the entire human species is chaotic okay. evil. Okay. Okay. She only tried to do that one time. What? Oh, just one time. No, that's not <laughs> the only time. So, um, uh, uh, we'll settle this right now because Demona has a couple of plots that involve killing humans just because they're humans. Already chaotic evil. Um, she She's been traumatized, man. I it, <laughs> alignments don't recognize the thing that creates the alignment; merely what they are. Which you could argue is a downside to the alignment system. I would totally agree with you. But if we're operating on that, right? She she gets a fairy, and I say that non-derogatorily. It is a fair folk. It's an actual fae. It's it's also literally it's puck, puck from a Midsummer yeah. Night's Dream, mm-hmm. and 
she turns tr- turns the whole city to stone and starts destroying statues, aka killing people cold-bloodedly. And then towards the end of the second season, she tries to kill all of humanity with a virus, with a magic virus. So chaotic evil all the way. And she like, relishes mind, you know? she relishes causing pain to people too, which is Xanatos never likes to hurt people. He just does it because it gets him what he wants. Like, Xanatos makes yeah. weapons, but he's like, you know what? These weapons aren't intended for the streets, even though they totally end up on the streets. So, I, she's she's I, neutral evil at the best of times. I mean, I would just say, you know, as Marceline once said, I'm a thousand years old and I've just lost touch with my moral code. Uh, like I said, alignments don't recognize why, just what is. Okay, okay. Oh, also, here's something that I really want to bring up. Um, okay, so Demona, female gargoyle, chief antagonist, arguably evil. Uh, her <laughs> name is literally Demon Ah. Her name is She Demon. It's Demon Ah, de- like Demona. And then her daughter with Goliath is literally named Angela. Her name is Angel Ah. And I just can't deal with that. <laughs> clearly, clearly, we are not good at catching the name stuff. Oh, I knew that. I caught that one from the beginning. I really oh. that last week, but it didn't come up. Ah, well, clearly I am the person who does not get names. So... That one is just so, I just can't handle it at all. Like, Demon Ah uh, and An- Angel Ah. Uh. <laughs> like, the female gargoyles. <laughs> so, uh, Xanatos does grow over the show, because through, um, eventually he has sort of this begrudging working relationship with the gargoyles, but he's always causing shit, and it's always... Um, I want to get power. I want immortality. I want to tear down the forest. I want to pay mercenaries to steal magical scrolls. Uh, and the gargoyles always up getting involved somehow to the point that Xanatos is always prepared for them, even when it doesn't make sense for them to show up. Mm-hmm. And Xanatos what? builds a robot clone called Coyote, who looks like him. And he ends up marrying one of the other antagonistic characters on the show, Fox, from the Wolfpack, which is... It's just the pack. Uh, oh, sorry, it's just the pack. <laughs> um, so Xanatos becomes less and less evil. I mean, they actually really, really, over two seasons, they make a great arc where Xanatos brings them to life again in their home they get kicked out of their home because he's a threat to them and eventually they build a relationship where xanatos is arguably moved to lawful neutral and they are allowed to live in their castle once again and Mm -hmm. it's like everything kind of comes full circle they're looking to the future uh, Xanatos is now raising his kid and is not a he's a benign threat if a threat at all to them and everything kind of wraps up with this nice little bow and then ABC just had to make the freaking third season yeah so Xanatos has this really great development over arguably one of the best villainous developments I've seen in a cartoon 
and all of his fun. reasons for changing are natural. Like, mm -hmm. love and family and realizing eventually that immortality always comes with a price. Mm -hmm. um, being foiled with actual super villainous people with very, very malicious intentions also serves to humanize his very pragmatic sort of abstract goals, which aren't as visceral. And I think that causes mm -hmm. us to be like, you know, he's really not so bad. Yeah, no, he's actually, he's really interesting. Like, obviously, Xanatos can't have the best ever villainous arc because Zuko. But, um, yeah, Xanatos is really interesting. And he kind of starts out as this, like, super cerebral villain where he's always, like, ten steps ahead of everybody else. You know, his plan is so big that you can't even see it. Actually, they talk to Fox one time. You know, they go talk to her, well, Elisa does, while she's in prison. And Fox is like, he's so much smarter than you, you don't even know. He's so many steps ahead of you that you wouldn't even be able to believe what Xanatos is doing. He's the smartest man in the world. And you're like, wow, like, maybe stop riding his dick so hard for a second there, Fox, huh? But then you find out, like, an episode later, oh, they're literally in a relationship. She's, you know... She was riding his dick so hard because she's literally riding his dick. Um, this is a show for kids. <laughs> so uh, I, Xanatos is a great... I think he's a very complex character for kids to be introduced to. Yeah. Oh, no. He's a great character. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's always, I always had fun watching him on screen. And his voice actor was great, too. Like, oh yeah, great work bringing this character. The the he had the right mix of intelligence, haughtiness, uh, suave. Like they they just hit every button so well. Mm -hmm. So, and I think psychologically, we all like a good villain. We may not like oh, to admit it, yeah. but um. It's fun to watch smart, bad people do bad things, but ultimately lose. <clears throat> a great villain is always more interesting than a great hero. Um, but, right, we talked a little bit about Demona last time, and we've already said a couple of things about her. Um, but I do think it's fair to give Paige's point credit that... Um, as the show goes on, we learn why Demona is the way she is. And it's tragic. It is really like she gets dicked over by so many people, by fairies, by human beep like just regular human people and magicians. She really exists, I think, to like Goliath and his gargoyles, they were kind of lucky because they slept for a thousand years. They didn't really get the chance to be betrayed over and over. Whereas Demona has had to live with like trying to protect the last of the gargoyles whom she ultimately fails being tied to a human that she ends up hating. She can't die. Um, and I mean, it, it kind of makes sense why she ends up being so chaotic, but um, you never walk away with the impression that that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you get the impression that um, Demona's way of dealing with all these problems is bad and wrong, but that her reasons for feeling that way are 
you know, they're pretty justified. Well, but and, you know, a, a counterpoint to that, though, mm. and I want to see what you think about this, is she ends up creating the seeds of her own destruction almost oh, every yeah. time. Almost every single time. She maliciously attacks a young boy in a barn for no good reason. And he ends up creating a line of hunters that hunt her and foil her to the modern era. Like she didn't have to do that. There was, she was not protecting herself. She could have ran away. She could have left this Chinese, like this, this young boy alone, but no, she chose to discard, like disfigure him for life. And it leads to the reason she gains immortality, why she gets tied to Macbeth. Like her, although she's experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of things that have happened to her have been entirely her fault. Yeah, and I think a lot of what I, what I was going to say about that is that a big lesson from Demona is that she has never been able to trust anyone. Like, even, we even see that when she, when all the gargoyles were still alive and she was young and she lived in the castle, she still was distrustful of people. She didn't trust anyone. And so because she couldn't ever trust anyone and was always trying to be on the defensive, she was always trying to be one step ahead of everyone and always get that, you know, do unto others before they do unto you. And that just created more and more situations where that blew up in her face and she became more and more confirmed in her distrust of everyone around her. And it just got worse and worse and worse over time. Uh, the pro Okay, so the problem with this is that the gargoyles end up trying to help her so many times that eventually there is... I, I don't know if there's really any excuse for her continuing to try and fight them. Like, they give her so many chances. She gets so many chances. They let her get, like, get away every single time until the end. Yeah, and I think I think it is. It really has to do with what I said. I think that Demona was always a. I don't know what happened to her when she was like a hatchling or whatever, but she was always a a person who was inherently distrustful, who was inherently wary of the people around her, and out of an urge to protect herself and her loved ones, she started to formulate plans to try to, you know, get people before they could get her. And rather than learning a lesson from that, whenever it blew up in her face, is she just always blamed it on other people for betraying her and just kept internalizing the lesson not to trust anyone more and more and more to the point where now she's more than a thousand years old. And even the people, when her initial failure that led to all of this, where she tried to get someone before they could get her completely backfired and led to all of her kin being murdered or turned to stone. And, you know, it's a thousand years past that. And now she can't even trust the people she was trying to protect that first time, you know, because she's so, she has staked her entire identity and survival on the idea that you can't trust anyone and that you have to fool them and betray them because they would just as easily do it to you and you need to do it first before they can do it to you. Yeah, I guess she sets up one of the central messages, which is trust people. I don't know. Elisa plays a big role in being like, Goliath, you got to trust somebody or what kind of life are you going to live? 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the gargoyles clearly begin to trust some people. Sometimes it backfires, like when they trust Xanatos, or when uh, we've got individual characters trusting individual antagonists, and it mm-hmm. obviously blowing up. But the lesson ends up being, uh, this might happen to you if you just end up constantly trying to distrust everybody. Yeah, you can't do things alone is a big message. But uh, Demona is complex, though she doesn't really develop, honestly. She just gets worse. Yeah, it's really sad, actually. I mean, she's really interesting because Demona has lots of moments of clarity. You know, she has moments where she will team up with people and do the right thing. Or she has... She, like, desperately wants to be in her daughter's life, but really the only way she can think of to do that is to try and convince her daughter to believe what she believes. Um, So she doesn't ever stop being, like, distrustful and manipulative and, you know, aggressive, but you do... She develops in the sense that you see that She's also more than that, and there's a part of her that wants to have that trust in that relationship, and there's a part of her that wants to not be alone anymore, but it's she's it's just too hard for her to let go of all that trauma. Which is, I'm sure, a lesson we will talk about when we talk about Lapis from Steven Universe. <sighs> Lapis! Um, but it, it, it really, yeah, it just ends up being tragic. Even though yeah. she's completely unjustified, we kind of get why it's complex, but... Um, and then she just goes away completely in the third season. Yeah. There's just no Demona. At all. I, I um... Well, because her, her biggest plan was foiled, so I don't know if she's yeah. just, like, murdering people in alleyways now. <laughs> I like to pretend that that's what's happening. That's the next logical step is murder hobo. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, For those of you who play tabletop games, you'll recognize the trope of murder hobo. Is that a... Wow. Yeah, it's... I um, play tabletop games, but I didn't realize. Murder hobos are characters that are... are, are, They they kill everything, and they, they have no goals... Except for being murderers, and they oh. because of that, they always end up being, like, drifters who have nothing. They just, every problem is, you know, they're edgy and they kill things. Um, Jeez. They're typically the product of very immature role players, in my opinion. If you make murder hobos, you know what? Fucking stop. <laughs> Don't do it. I have no sympathy for you. Stop it. <laughs> Um, nobody wants to play in a game with a murder hobo nobody wants to play in a game with a murder hobo except for other murder hobos because then they get to murder them Uh, (laughs) the ultimate cannibal cannibals by heart Um, no one wants to play in a game also with a chaotic evil character uh, I don't know sometimes they can be fun also you know what I'm just going to say it 
I don't like to play uh, in high fantasy settings with lawful good characters. Oh my god, there's this great meme. Fuck a paladin. There's this great meme going around right now, which is uh, you can't make a lawful good character interesting. And people, uh, it's top text, bottom text, and the top text is what I just said, and the bottom text is a picture that is an example in media of a good, uh, lawful, good character, like an interesting, lawful, good character. So if you aren't familiar with that meme, listeners, go out, check it out. The ones they post are pretty good. One is from Brooklyn well, I mean, like, Brooklyn I love a Nine-Nine. Character. I just don't want to, like... I just never want to play with a paladin, you know, if it's like an urban or different setting, fine, play lawful good. But like playing with a paladin is just so. Ugh. Sounds like you've you know? only played with bad paladins. I mean, that's possible. So with anyway, this isn't a tabletop role playing. Hey, <laughs> to our, our listeners interests overlap. We can segue a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> so segueing into high fantasy. See, we can start talking go. about the Arthurian roots of the show because it's so it re, it's so good. It's so very good. So uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with like the British Isles mythos of the different cultures that lived in such a place. We have all sorts of things. Shakespeare wrote about quite a few of them, too. So, for example, fairies. There are three races, and we've got humans, gargoyles in, in this particular formulation, and the fair folk, which we've, we later learn encompasses, like, every magical being including gods, gods from other cultures, which Paige had a little bit of a problem with that. I'm kind of like, you yeah. know, as far as mythos go, it makes as sense as anything else. Um, yeah, I guess it just disappointed me because they had been so... Their, myth, their use of Celtic and Arthurian myth had been just like so accurate that it just kind of upset me. <laughs> To see them take that turn. Well, but from any <laughs> any individual uh, set of myths, they're going to try and encompass everything in the world. So naturally, they tried to do that. So they tried True. to extend it out to its most logical conclusion, I suppose. Fair from a cultural standpoint, you could call it, like, Europe-washing stuff. But I mean, if if one mythos turned out to be true and could explain others, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I don't know. I'm sort of my the fantasy nerd in me is like, you know what? That's a pretty interesting idea that everything is fairies. <laughs> yeah, that all pantheons are just fairies that like. Odin is somehow subservient to Oberon, which is wild. Uh, so, yeah, we've got the Fair Folk, and we meet all sorts of interesting characters. My favorite being Puck, who is the Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. He's the prototypical fairy trickster, right? Teaching people lessons that they need to learn through magical means. He ends up being mostly an ally. Um, he is instrumental in a couple of plots, and he later ends up tutoring Xanatos' son in magic. <laughs> so if Xanatos didn't already have enough power, his son is going to have money, intelligence, and he's going to be like a fairy prince. 
Yeah, and the way that that happens is we learn that apparently, so Fox is herself the daughter of Xanatos' biggest rival in the cybernetics industry. Apparently they've been together for like a really long time. Um, and that Queen Titania had been banished to live amongst humans by Oberon for a thousand years. And while she did that, she had a child with this brilliant cybernetics scientist man, and that produced Fox. But she just raised Fox as purely a human, so her magic abilities were pretty much suppressed. Um, and that kicks off like a huge plot at the end of the second season, where everybody comes together because... Basically, Oberon and Titania are trying to steal Xanatos and Fox's baby. Yeah, so um, the the hierarchy goes, we've got Oberon, who is... He's less a fairy and more a force of nature. Like, Oh, yeah. He, he is... Uh, unbri- like unbridled power. Like, he ends up fighting a lot of people, and it's like he ends up having to weaken himself substantially in order to, like, not just risk instantly killing whoever he's fighting. One of those, like, I've got to handicap myself to be fair, kind of people. Um, you haven't even seen my final form. So Oberon. Married another powerful fairy named Titania, and they get a divorce. Checkmate, Catholic Church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Gargoyles is inherently anti-Catholic. Um, <laughs> so I mean, a little bit, kind of. So uh, Oberon lives on the mythical island of Avalon. Avalon. Um, famous in Arthurian myth. So he controls Avalon, and he has lots of quote-unquote children. He uses children in the way that gods often use the term, where they don't literally birth them out of their loins, mm-hmm. though they may, though they may, um, <laughs> you know, build them out of trees, out of rocks, out of air, out of sound, out of somebody's shit. I mean, literally, they could build a ch- child out of anything. And uh, all these children spread across the world and eventually become uh, tricksters, <laughs> gods, teaching lessons, uh, all sorts of stuff. And um, they end up also creating a lot of, if not the vast majority of the magical artifacts that we see being used by our show's antagonists and characters. For example, the Phoenix Gate was created by Oberon. It is, like, of Avalon. So a huge plot driver ends up being, like, every all roads lead to Avalon, as far as the show is concerned. And, oh, absolutely they do. And, uh, I mean, all magic is tied to the place, and a lot of magic happens in the show, so it totally makes sense. But uh, a lot of the action in the second season is Avalon-centric, because... We later find out that gargoyles are living on Avalon because some of the humans that were related to those that betrayed Goliath and his clan, eventually, including the Magus, who kind of fucked the gargoyles over, in order to atone, he takes the eggs from their rookery and promises to make sure that they grow to term and that they grow up to be, like, alive. Mm -hmm. And 
through a bunch of interesting political plots, the Magus, the princess, and Tom, a young boy and his mother, who like worked in the castle, they all try to escape because they're going to be separated and potentially killed because of some coups. And like you do. It's also where Macbeth comes in, actually. They tie everything together beautifully. So they, they leave for Avalon, and the Magus is able to uh, create a spell in order to get them to this mythical island. Well, uh, after they get in, they all grow up, and we later find out that uh, Avalon time passes differently on Avalon than it does in the real world, which allows these characters from a thousand years to go to make their re-entry into the show, like, in modern times. And it's so good. Like, it's Tom, so cool. Tom is all grown up. The Magus is an old man. The princess is Tom's lover. Like, all of... The gargoyles are all grown up, so they've still got gargoyles living, and it's it's super cool. But um, eventually, the gargoyles come to Avalon to try and defend the gargoyles from one of their oldest arch enemies, who is a sorcerer. And oh my, it, it, I'm not even going to take the time to explain it all because you should just go watch it yourself because it's, it's great. so the second good. Season of gargoyles is just. Mwah. It's so good. It's 52 episodes. More, it's so fun because after they deal with this problem at like the beginning of the season, which is a, well, no, it's, they go to Avalon and they deal with the problem with the old Archmagus deal at the beginning of the season. They're like, we're going home now, but Avalon doesn't send you where you want to go. It sends you where you need to be. And so they spend the whole middle of the season just like they're rowing on a body of water. And they're like, okay, where are we now? So, Not New York. So Goliath finds out he has a daughter. And she decides she wants to go back to New York with them. So Goliath, Elisa, Angela, and Bronx... Uh, spend about 30 episodes trying to get back home, but every time they go to Avalon and then they leave and they end up in Scotland, in uh, Canada with native peoples. They end up in the Amazon. They were, and they, they end up meeting people from their lives. They, they meet Xanatos or the pack on a couple of occasions. They, Elisa's mm -hmm. mom is working in the Amazon. They meet Amazon. No, it's in Africa. They uh, do a oh, episode right. with Anansi, which was dope. It was vo uh, Anansi was voiced by LeVar Burton in that episode. They they end up in uh, somewhere in like Central America where there are Mayan temples. Or I can't. And I, you learn there are all kinds of other gargoyles in yeah. the Central American rainforest. There are gargoyles that are different, and they're protecting the whole rainforest. And in Japan, there's a whole town where gargoyles and human beings have always lived in peace. To the point that the gargoyles turn their backs away, like they face in towards their home when they sleep, as a sign of trust with the humans. And then there were two gargoyles that look wild down in England, and they knew Goliath, and there were time travel traveling shenanigans and it's just like there are a whole bunch of gargoyles and the gargoyles from every place look different from each other and it's great because i want to point to it and i want to be like other shows this is how you do multiculturalism right this is how you do it incorporate indigenous <laughs> myths indigenous peoples but tie it into a plot 
like way that makes sense for the mythos of the show and is like Avalon sends you where you need to be. And it makes sense as like basically Goliath, Elisa, Bronx, and Angela become uh, like a cleaning crew for magical mm-hmm. problems across the world for a couple months. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, so you're saying that they did. There was a Canadian episode, and I don't know if something just like broke and I missed that episode somehow. But I don't remember an episode where they went to Canada. What was that one? It was the one with the uh, the native peoples episode with the uh, raven with the raven like not the raven raven from like the like the god from indigenous myth they were like a canadian tribe i think i must have missed that one because the only indigenous peoples one i remember is the one in the southwest united states they fight with in a the volcano like uh yeah you must have missed it they fight what they fight in a volcano like, it's super memorable. Oh, yeah. Where I was watching, it must have messed up because I don't remember this at all. I must have, uh, it which must is, have something must have glitched out and I must have missed it. Which is too bad because that episode is exquisite. Um, yeah, I'll have to go back. Love the one with Odin where, like, literally <laughs> that whole episode I was just shouting. I'm like, it's literally the eye of Odin. Odin is famously one-eyed. It's it's his eyeball. Just <laughs> give it to him. <laughs> Like, the man deserves his eye. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Apparently, when you take a fairy's eye, it turns into a gem, just so you know. <laughs> How it do. The second episode, the second season is 52 episodes long. So, mm-hmm. for a show like uh, Rugrats or whatever, it actually has one, two, three, four, five, six seasons. Yeah. In reality, like the amount of content they put out of full 22 minute episodes is actually really deceiving. And it's staggering the amount of stories that they managed to tell. And they're all good. Like the whole Gargoyles World Tour, 30 episodes of like really good content. Many Just people super would super interesting stories. Many people would call it filler because it doesn't necessarily advance the main plot except in small jumps, but mm-hmm. it never feels like filler. It all feels vital. Oh, absolutely. And you get all kinds of like, you know, there's um, a banshee and the reincarnation of Ku Cullen, and you just get Super fascinating doses of mythology from all over the world, which is always, like, super accurate to the way the mythology actually is. And then they tie it all together by they're they're all the children of Oberon and they're being called to Avalon for, like, a gathering. They're being called home. And that's how it all gets tied together. Yeah. It's just And they all pop up again. They all reappear when the gathering starts. And the final, like, the final arc gets kicked underway. And it, it really is, I think, psychologically, from a child's perspective, it's excellent introduction, both engaging and a accurate representation of, like, other cultures. It's mm-hmm. it really, like, it's excellent, not even for Disney, just in general. It, it is great. Just I, I honestly, I can't praise it enough. And the villains continue to show up periodically. Characters develop. We get to see a lot of Angela, 
she ends up being one of the most interesting characters of all the living gargoyles. And Elisa and Goliath's relationship advances to the point where at the end of the show, she kisses him and they, it's very much not even implied, just like straight up. They love each other. So we've already yeah. got cross species boning going on. Cause that was like, there was so much sexual tension between them, just the whole show. And they were like, no, we can't be together. We're two different species. <laughs> well, know? okay. They don't but say they that. Yeah. I'm of the day and you're of the night is kind of more of the, the thing that happens, sort of the prototypical vampire conflict mm -hmm. with love. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, gargoyles made people furries. Oh my God, it did. Uh, which begs the question, what the fuck does Goliath's penis look like? I literally have had this conversation with my boyfriend because like after that, we're like, what is a gargoyle dick like? And like, so they're primarily humanoid. So it's probably somewhat humanoid, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. People have probably answered this question. Rule probably 34, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's what I told Blake. He was like, what are you? I was like, rule 34, man, rule 34. With this, I I, I guess, like, I a lot of what we've talked about, to, not, to just kind of get a, into wrap-up mode, is not related to its politics or its psychology because the show is so rich in uh, its narration, its animation, its storytelling. Like all of that is the bulk of what the show is. And I mean, you've got underlying tensions of Xanatos is, he owns a mega, a mega corp that they do manage to show us a, uh, a fake possible future where Xanatos has taken over New York City, he takes over, he attains immortality, he takes over the United States, and he's on the verge of taking over the world. And it does give kids a taste of the transhumanist megacorp cyber 7 2077 future in a negative way, which I kind of like. Yeah, um, yeah, I liked that too. Xanatos's money is never hit quite hard as hard as I would like it to be, but they never laud his wealth either. Like he he spends extravagantly, but they never like Xanatos is a good guy. We see the negative aspects of media culture, especially with the pack like the lauding of violence and what effect that has on the impressionable youth, even if they're gargoyles. We see gun violence uh, and its effects. We see uh, morals such as sacrifice, promises, doing right by others, trust, making up for the harm you've dealt to others, um, fighting against all odds because it's right even when you're facing the god of gods and yeah. and i think that the third season as much as there is to criticize about like the drop in animation quality and the fact that pretty much everyone who had been involved with the show left um like the story is still fine for the third season and the third season is all about how <clears throat> powerful people or people who want to be powerful 
will weaponize people's fear of difference and try and turn it into hatred for their own gain. They, That's the whole theme of the third season. And, and I mean, that is pretty good. They do a whole Ku Klux Klan allegory uh, mm-hmm. with hoods and... Basically, the gargoyles come out into the public sphere and people are afraid of them. And these quarrymen, as they're called, use people's fear to gain power. And Xanatos ends up being the good guy in a lot of this. Xanatos is like, I have to protect the gargoyles. Like, you've protected my family. And, like, you, you know, and I brought you to this world. And, like, you deserve to be protected from this. We do get... A lot of that stuff in the third season. So I, I shouldn't... And some of that stuff pops up with uh, people being afraid of the gargoyles and people giving in to fear. Some of that comes up in the first two seasons, too. Yeah, sometimes they'll save people and people will be like, ah, oh, get away! Or the whole thing with the mutates, with the, the, the female mutate when they first meet her. You know, Brooklyn just really wants to help her and she's terrified of him and she lashes out at him because he's he's a monster, you know? I think that there are good lessons here, but I'm just, I was just, I, I was entirely focused on the narrative. I'm going to be honest. The, the narrative. So a lot of um, contemporary cartoons with really great storytelling, like, um, <clears throat> Steven universe or, uh, adventure time. They do have these really fascinating worlds that they build really fascinating narratives in, but they're super character driven. And a lot of it is about how the character deals with these different things that are happening. So you're always super focused on the psychology of the characters or the politics of the way the characters relate to each other. Whereas this show is not as character driven. So they build these fascinating plots and worlds And you just kind of get mesmerized by like, oh, look, and that's that myth. And look at the interesting character design. And, oh, that myth is connected to this one somehow. And it's so it's there's still a lot of character to it, but it's not the same as it would be with like, oh, wow, super interesting. There's a human zoo. But look at how Steven is dealing with the fact that he and his dad are trapped in this human zoo. It's not really like that. You can get distracted by just looking at the narrative and not be paying as close of attention to the politics or the psychology of what's going on. If we ever do Batman the Animated Series, we're going to have that happen as well. I'm calling yeah. it right now. Because Batman the Animated Series, folk, like most of what I will have to say will probably be animation and like stories. Because they tell some great stuff. Some great yeah, stories. And like, you know, that's okay. There are going to be some shows where there's just there's just less of that or where the story is just so compelling that it's hard not to get distracted. Like, I just was mesmerized. I was completely mesmerized by the storytelling. I guess I just wanted, uh, here as we're wrapping up, I wanted to point that out because some people may go, well, part of the point of Animates is to talk about, like, the politics or psychology of mm-hmm. things underlying a show. And, I mean, I really, I could have dug in deep, found a bunch of studies on why certain things in Gargoyles work, but <laughs> just as, a, as an observer of the show, I just cared so much about the world itself and the plot that it that just didn't feel 
as engaging to me personally. And I won't lie and say that my personal interests are what drive what I focus on when I do this show. I won't lie about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we did discuss, especially in the last episode, you know, what themes there were. But I think overall, just it's pretty groundbreaking and how high concept the storytelling was for a children's show and the amount of care and attention to detail that went into the world building and the storytelling. And that in and of itself, I find really impressive. Yeah. So this may happen a couple times in the future where the show is, and we may warn people if, it, if we think it's going to happen, just so you know, it's like, you know, um, the psychology or politics may be more sparse than usual. So just know that going forward, don't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But Gar- I think I can pretty much, a lot of contemporary cartoons, because they are so character driven, I I feel like I doubt that it will happen with contemporary cartoons just because they're so, the characters themselves are so psychologically rich. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I don't think this will be a common issue. I think it will become an issue with shows that focus on uh, like fighting or action, Mm -hmm. things that are more Mm -hmm. comic booky. Yeah. As well. So we may start to develop different styles for different types of shows. It's an adventure. We're all going to go on together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's all hold hands and walk into the void, right? Gargoyle. 10 gargoyles 10 out of 10 would watch again yeah absolutely it's a really fantastic show my complaints are few and you know you can look past them for sure uh i i think i'm good i i actually kind of sad to stop talking about gargoyles it's such a good yeah, show guys go watch talked it about it for an Y'all. Hour, two and a half hours total now so uh, i think they've heard us talk about gargoyles enough um Thank you guys so much for coming on this journey with us. Seriously, go watch Gargoyles. You are doing yourself a favor if you do. Um, But for now, I've been Paige. I'm Chris. And this has been Animates. Uh, If you are listening to this on iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people find the show. And as always, you can reach out to us on social media, at Animates on Twitter, Animates Podcast on Facebook, and AnimateEase with the numeral 8 at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening.